This is the Navigating Adult ADHD podcast, here to help you navigate and thrive with ADHD in adulthood. I'm your host, Zena, and I was diagnosed at age 36. As with many ADHDers, I have a rebellious and non-conformist style. And that means that there will likely be swearing in the coming episode. Please be mindful of any little people. Hello, my friends. Welcome back to the podcast. I am really excited to bring you part two of our two-part series on dopamine. Although when I say two-part, I do have an idea for part three, but we'll see. (laughs) So just to give you a bit of a reminder, if and, and actually, before I do that, something I forgot to mention in part one is if this is something you want to learn more about and you've really enjoyed what you've heard in part one and what you hear here today in part two, then I definitely recommend you either listen to or watch the Huberman Lab. And that's available both podcast or YouTube. It is very long. His episodes are on average about two and a half hours, sometimes longer. And number episode number 39 is basically a masterclass in dopamine. And I did get a lot out of that. And he also speaks about a lot of other resources if you want to take the dopamine research and learning experience even deeper. So in part one of the dopamine series, we talked about what dopamine is and the role it plays in our brains. Basically, what it is, how it works, why it's important. We talk about the activities that impact our dopamine. So things that we do that increase and deplete our dopamine. And we talked about roughly how much it increases or depletes by. We also talked about baseline levels of dopamine. So all of us have a baseline level of dopamine. Those of us with ADHD, our baseline level is lower than the neurotypical people, people without ADHD. And we also talked about how our dopamine producing activities take us below uh, below baseline when the dopamine wears off. Okay, so I'm just giving you a quick recap. So what that means is we all have that, you know, baseline level. So if you just imagine kind of like a level kind of floating on the surface And when we do something that increases dopamine, we go above that level, right? However, when that dopamine wears off, it plunges down below the baseline and it can stay down there for a long period of time, depending on the activity um, and how we're doing it. We're going to talk a little bit more about that today. Uh, We also talked about the importance of how you think about and perceive a certain activity that you're doing and how that directly impacts the amount of dopamine that you will experience. For example, if you are on the rowing machine and you hate rowing and you're saying to yourself, this fucking sucks, I hate rowing, rowing sucks, I just wish this was over, you're not going to get as much dopamine from that experience as someone who is saying to themselves, you know, I'm, uh, rowing's maybe not my favorite thing, but I know I'm going to feel really good afterwards and like I can feel the burn and, you know, or perhaps even saying more positive things than that. Now, it's not about, you know, f- telling yourself bullshit and lies, <laughs> but more about choosing activities that you can get, you know, find more enjoyable or, or m- more pleasurable and also working on 
you know, the way that you think about those activities and being quite deliberate about it, because that will directly impact the amount of dopamine that you get from that activity, meaning you will feel better for longer when you have a positive experience or when you create a positive experience for yourself. Okay. Now, if you haven't listened to part one of this two-part series on dopamine, I highly recommend you pause right now and you go back and do that because all the shit I'm about to tell you will make a lot more sense, okay? (laughs) Otherwise, let's go, my friends. So I wanted to talk today briefly about women and estrogen. So for us women, it's worth noting that estrogen, which is a hormone, is one of the primary modulators for dopamine. Basically, it distributes it and directs it around different places, okay, for the female brain. And if for some reason our hormone levels are off, meaning our estrogen levels are either high or low or other hormones are, you know, not how they normally are for us, And that, you know, that happens when, you know, specific health conditions might arise, but also as we enter into perimenopause and menopause, that'll naturally happen. We'll have a reduction in our estrogen levels. Now, unfortunately, there is, excuse my English, fuck all research on women. So for the longest time, the majority of research was done on men because women were considered to be too difficult with their fluctuating hormone levels every month. So there is very little research done about the link between um, dopamine levels, hormones, menopause, and ADHD. Now, there have been surveys conducted, and one survey that I found very interesting to read was from Attitude magazine, so for people with ADHD, and it talked about, uh, they surveyed their readers rather, and they talked about how over 90% of the women surveyed, and it was a large number, I can't remember how many thousand women were surveyed, said, yes, their symptoms of ADHD do worsen quite significantly when their hormone levels are off. So particularly as they enter a midlife and start to experience any perimenopause, menopause symptoms. And when they say it worsens, particularly things like short-term memory, sustaining attention, Um, you know, getting activities, being organized, all of that kind of stuff done. Now, just a reminder, um, what do I want to say? So what that means is if you're aware that your hormone levels are changing, which is something I am currently aware of, my hormone levels have changed and I'm navigating, is that related to thyroid or perimenopause or both? (laughs) That's fun times, my friends, that's future episodes for us. But If you are aware your hormone levels are changing, then you are in a position to be able to support them and supplement them and also be aware of your dopamine and, you know, moving more dopamine through your brain or, you know, being aware of the dopaminergic activities that you're doing. Let me break that down. I feel like I just went way too technical. What that means is if you're aware that your hormone levels may be off or you do some hormone testing or you know that you could potentially be entering into midlife and just FYI, I was 36 when this started happening. So I had in my brain, it could be like 45-ish. It can happen earlier. What can happen, what that means is like you can take, you know, supplements, whether they be natural or not natural. You can take pills, there's HRT, there's various different things out there that you can do to help correct and balance out your hormone levels. 
when you do that, the symptoms that you experience of lower dopamine, so this isn't just for my women with ADHD, but this is for women who experience, you know, changes to the estrogen levels, your dopamine, the amount of dopamine that you're getting through your system will be less. Therefore, when you can correct that level, your, you know, the symptoms that you experience as a result of having lower dopamine will also begin to improve. Okay. So for my women with ADHD, being able to, you know, bring your hormone levels back into a normal kind of a range will help you with those ADHD symptoms and help you to experience more dopamine. Okay. So there is a bit of a crossover here, so I won't get too technical and too confusing with you all, but things like low mood or increased anxiety and depression and brain fog are all symptoms of both ADHD and menopause, okay? So for anyone who has ADHD going through menopause, that stuff just can be extra heightened, Okay. <laughs> Hence, it's really important that we look at, you know, helping our hormone levels to regulate and also being really aware of how our dopamine works so that we can work with it instead of kind of fighting against it. Okay. So while on the topic of ADHD, which is one of my favorite subjects, my friends, um, and this may resonate with any non-ADHDs in my community, if you've ever noticed, we can get a dopamine fix or a dopamine hit, whatever you want to call it, from planning. So I fall into this category. When I decide I'm going to do something and I plan out exactly how I'm going to do it, when I'm going to do it, all the different things, and I put it on my calendar, I can get such a dopamine you know, experience from that. I can get a real hit of dopamine from doing that. However, not necessarily from the executing and the actual planning of it. Now, this is very much linked to the way that we think about the activity. So when we're planning, we're thinking about it being done and you know how awesome it's going to be to have it all done and looking at the future and, and all of these and seeing that it's all possible and it's all going to happen and it's all going to be wonderful. And this kind of ties into something which I call a perfectionist fantasy. However, when we think about the actual executing of the activity and the taking action and doing all the things and the steps required, we have a, not necessarily a negative association to that, but we have, there's a level of discomfort in there. It's uncomfortable, it's hard, all of those kinds of things that our brain is perceiving, which we don't attach to having any pleasure or joy or dopamine. However, when we change the way we think about and perceive those activities, we can actually add dopamine to them, which means we don't just get a dopamine from planning, which I sure do. I love planning. I get such a hit from it, but we can actually get dopamine from the execution phase as well. Okay. All right. Let's talk about smartphones. So smartphones and, you know, the good old iPhone or Samsung or whatever it is that you have, <laughs> this is a really common way that we do something called layering. So we layer dopamine, okay? If you just imagine layers on top of one another. Now, unfortunately, this is not a great thing in that it can really disrupt our primary dopamine-related task. When we layer on dopamine, so what that might look like is, you know, you go for a run or you do a really good workout, but before you do that, you start with a pre-workout drink. 
something I talked about in the last episode, right? So you you have a pre-workout drink that gives you a huge hit of dopamine and then you have the workout and that gives you dopamine. And while you're doing the workout, maybe you listen to your favorite podcast that gives you dopamine. So there's three different layers there. Now, smartphones is a very easy way that we layer dopamine. Now, unfortunately, when we're doing this, we when we continue to layer dopamine, it decreases our baseline level of dopamine over time. So if you remember in last week, I gave you that analogy or that kind of mental picture of thinking about like a gas tank and, you know, and most people will sit around about half full for my ADHD is maybe we said about quarter of a tank. That's our baseline level. However, there are certain things that we do, such as layering dopamine over and over and over again, that will reduce our baseline level, that will reduce the normal average amount that we experience on a day-to-day basis. Okay, now of course, we don't want our baseline to come down. We want it to go up, right? Because the more it's up, the better we feel, right? So this kind of like shows that it's no surprise that things like levels of depression and anxiety are really on the rise because unfortunately that hit of dopamine that you can get from a smartphone like you know when there's you know dings and bings and things going off and you you log into your social media and you've got a notification and someone's liked or commented on your post or whatever like those quick little hits of dopamine become quite addictive And we're constantly on there, constantly scrolling, you know, we spend hours every day on our phone. And that is distracting from other activities that produce dopamine, such as the main activity. I've noticed this when I watch Netflix, for example. Now, I love a good TV series, Ted Lasso, awesome, huge fan, Schitt's Creek, another great one. Now, but when I sit down to watch that, sometimes I have this desire to scroll my phone at the same time. So I'm doing two things that produce dopamine at the same thing at the same time. I'm layering my dopamine, right? Now, as a result of having done this over time, I'm now getting less of a dopamine, you know, release from watching the Netflix and thinking I need to get my phone as well, and therefore I'm gonna feel even better. But in doing that, I've kind of screwed myself in a way because I used to get a really good dopamine fix just from watching Netflix, not from needing my phone to be there as well. Okay, so in order to maintain a higher baseline level of dopamine, which ideally most of us want to do because it feels good to have it higher, it means layering our dopamine less and doing it sporadically. Okay, I'm going to talk a little bit more about this. Now, I'm not saying that you should stop layering dopamine altogether. Actually, I can't even tell you what to do. You can completely ignore me if you want. But if you want to experience more dopamine, which feels pretty fucking awesome and really helps you to, you know, have an improved mood and get more shit done, be more motivated and driven, have a better memory and all these different things, then you probably want to take some notes, okay? (laughs) Or maybe make a few changes or at least have this awareness. And I'm going to walk through some steps at the end of how we can um, kind of implement this. One thing to be aware of is just multitasking in general, especially when it is multitasking things that could be pleasurable um, and that we associate dopamine with, right? Watching TV and scrolling your phone online shopping at the same time, right? Those kinds of things be mindful. <laughs> Back to the workout I, example I gave you in the last episode, 
in part one, rather than taking a pre-workout every single time I go for a run, I now take it like once every two to three weeks. I don't take it very often at all. I take it when I'm really kind of struggling to get myself in you know, the right place to go for that run when it's maybe a really cold day or I'm just really not feeling it. But today is the day I've said I'm going to go for a run and I do want to get that done. I might take it then, right? Because it helps me to increase my dopamine to get my butt out the door and off for the run. But I don't rely on it and I don't, you know, use it regularly. Okay. Another one I'm working on, and this is a work in progress, my friends, is when with the Netflix example is now putting my phone on the bench and most of the time like I forget and it's next to me on the couch and I have to get up and go and put it on the kitchen bench so that it's not within arm's reach and I'll tell you what I've got a lot of resistance to this in my brain because I've it's become such such a habitual thing to have my phone with me and scroll on it and check social media and maybe look at online shopping whilst watching the Netflix show with my partner And so now I'm really trying to undo that because I'm so mindful of how I can separate those two things and it will help me to increase my baseline level of dopamine. Now I'm not doing it all the time, not doing it perfectly, but I'm mindful of it so that over time I can get what I used to get was quite a good dopamine release and quite a lot of joy from watching Netflix, especially the shows I love, right, or the movies I love. But over time, that has slowly decreased when I think about it. And that is because I have increased the level of cell phone usage and, you know, smartphone usage over time. Okay. So that's how I'm working on that. (laughs) And again, I want to stress the importance of why we do this. It's because when we layer dopamine you know, not just one primary dopamine activity, but when we're layering it in lots of different ways and having these big spikes above our baseline level of dopamine, what happens is then we drop the equivalent amount. So if we go above baseline two times, we drop below baseline two times. But the more often we do this, the longer we stay down. So if you think about like a soldier in battle and, you know, he can get knocked down and, 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 you know, he's only down for a minute and he gets back up again, but the more he gets knocked down, the longer he stays down, right? It's kind of the same thing with our dopamine level. The more we spike it above baseline, right? It's remember, it's going to plummet the equal amount below, meaning when we're going to go from a high to a low. We're not going to feel great. We're not going to be as motivated. We're not going to be as driven. Mood's going to be lower, all those things. But it'll stay down there for longer the more we continue to spike our dopamine and layer it, layer it, layer it. Okay? Meaning less motivation, less focus, less drive, less good feelings. Okay? Over time. And this can be kind of tricky to kind of notice. That's why I think it really does it's really good to have this awareness and pay attention to it because when i reflect back i can really see how this has played out in my life but with the awareness i now have of dopamine which i'm sharing with all of you okay so i appreciate that doing this can be hard <laughs> not necessarily easy or what you want to do because dopamine feels good and we go after things that feel good right alcohol might feel good to have a glass of wine at the end of the night right um Chocolate might feel good to eat that sugar, all of those things, right? Produce dopamine, but it feels good, right? And when something feels good, we want to do it. 
But when you understand the negative impact of getting too much dopamine or layering it too often, you will see why perhaps you want to be more mindful of your choices and how you're using your dopamine. Okay. In this case, like too much of a good thing can actually create too much of a not good thing or more of a not good thing. Right. So let's talk about, and I promised this in the last episode, one thing that we can do that positively impacts our dopamine and stays in our system for a longer period of time and doesn't cause like a crash or a a reduction in that baseline level of dopamine. This is kind of the exception to a lot of the things that we've talked about. Okay. So my friends, this thing is cold water therapy. (laughs) Now, if you're anything like me, I love a hot shower and I get my dopamine from a good hot shower. Love them. I can have multiple of them a day in winter. (laughs) However, I have also experienced that you know going for a I live in New Zealand and so the ocean here doesn't really get that warm and even over summer you know on an average day if you go for a swim it can be bloody freezing and I don't like cold water that much but I have experienced that um, dopamine release that can be sustained for a long period of time as a result of spending time in cold water and I have played with cold water therapy myself in the past on the recommendations of others so it is actually proven, there are studies that they've done on this to increase well-being, increase, uh, improve our immune system, all of these things. Like there are a lot of health benefits associated to cold water therapy. Um, I think Wim Hof has, is one of the people who, has, has, who talks about it a lot and has, I think, some courses and you know, research and, and books perhaps written on it. I don't, I've heard of him a lot. I haven't actually looked at his stuff myself. So... In terms of how much, when we spend time in cold water and and use cold water therapy, it can reach up to 2.5 times above our baseline level of dopamine. So that's a damn good amount. That is the same amount as cocaine, (laughs) as taking drugs, right? So that's a good amount. And we're doing it with something that's actually healthy and has a positive impact on our body and our well-being as opposed to cocaine. Um. Now, rather than crash, like, for example, if you are doing drugs and you're taking cocaine, for example, you go 2.5 times above baseline, you will then experience that crash. So you will then go 2.5 times below baseline and stay down. The more you do it, the longer you'll stay down. Okay. However, that doesn't happen with cold water therapy. They've done research and studies on this. So what happens is rather than crash, we go up 2.5 times. We can sustain that for up to a number of hours and it is a gradual decline back down to baseline level and it doesn't really go below baseline. Can We can have that dopamine high for a, an average of three hours, sometimes even longer is pretty friggin' awesome. <laughs> I'm down for that. Okay. Especially when, you know, knowing I've got ADHD and, and dopamine is a, uh, a scarce resource at times, right? If I can get it naturally through the source, I'm down for that. Okay. Even if it's something I've negatively associated with in the past. Now, 
as I said, for a while I was doing those ocean swims. I was actually doing them. There was a group of us who would work out together a couple of times a week, a couple of girls, uh, a few girls, and we would go for an ocean swim afterwards. And this was like, you know, kind of we were doing it in autumn, spring, and occasionally even in winter. And I didn't like doing it on my own, but I I actually created a real positive association to doing it with them. And I knew afterwards we'd go get a hot coffee and have a really good chat and we'd just done a workout and it was this really awesome experience. So I did create a positive association to it. And that's really important here is because when you create a positive association to the cold water therapy, you will experience a longer release of dopamine and you will get more dopamine from it and I have spoken to some people who are like no I hate cold water therapy I think it's terrible I don't get anything from it I don't know about that in terms of the research but from what I do understand the people who were doing it were doing it voluntarily and therefore they probably had a a somewhat positive association to it but what you think about it does matter and it will impact the amount of dopamine you get from it so if you tell yourself you hate it and it's awful and it's terrible you're not going to get as much dopamine from it as you could so I just want to encourage you to um, be mindful of the way you think about it if this is something you're going to play with and even use that kind of a language I always use that language in my my brain when I'm trying to wrap my head around something I'm just going to play with it I'm just going to, you know, have a little bit of fun with it. (laughs) I don't have to keep doing it. I'm just going to play with it. But doing that, you know, opens my brain up to the possibility that it it could possibly be okay or enjoyable or, or, or somewhat pleasurable later, or there could be some benefit to it. Okay. So cold water therapy increases norepinephrine, which is adrenaline, and it increases dopamine. And in one study, it was measured to increase up to 250% above baseline. That's a fucking huge increase. Let's be honest. And as I said, the increase outside of the cold water, when you get back to land and dry activities and what have you, is sustained. So it also, it improves well-being, it improves focus, it actually creates a calm state of mind, which so many of us would love to have because many of us live in a fight or flight state. So it's that kind of alert but calm feeling. Okay. Now, one thing that was mentioned in the studies is that you want to limit the amount of cortisol, which is basically stress hormone, when you do this. So if you get really stressed and anxious and worried about it, that might negatively impact the experience that you have and the amount of dopamine that you get. Okay. So it as I said, it's something that you want to play with and you want to be safe. You don't want to go jumping into ice and I mean people do ice baths, but if this is your first experience, I'd start with like a cold shower or, you know, a dip in a cold lake or a cold ocean or whatever you've got. Start with something like that first. Don't go crazy. <laughs> as you want to go crazy, by all means do it safely. Now um, as I said, there, there is an exception to the rule of spiking dopamine. And that is, or well, I don't know that I necessarily said this, um, if it becomes normal and comfortable for you. So when you're doing this cold water therapy, if it's something maybe that you already do, so for example, my partner does it, he's done it for years, he does cold showers pretty much all the time. He'll have a nice hot shower, wash himself and then go cold for at least a minute. And you can sometimes hear him like um, like breathing very deeply or like making little sounds in there because it doesn't sound pleasurable at all. But he keeps doing it because he gets such a high from it. He gets 
dopamine from it and therefore he feels good for a sustained period of time. Now, however, if that becomes your normal, if you no longer, you know, if you can just turn it to cold and like, yep, sweet as, no problem, Mm -hmm, cool, let's get out now. If you don't get that kind of shock from it, you're going to stop getting the dopamine, right? And this is just something you've got to monitor. If it becomes comfortable for you, so comfortable that it's just normal, then you're no longer going to get that that same release of dopamine from it, okay? So then I would say it's something that you want to, again, change up. Don't do it all the time. Do it every now and again. Make it more sporadic so that you can bring back the experience of still getting a dopamine release from it, okay? Um, the next thing we're going to talk about here is hard work. So this one was a really interesting one for, you know, for me to research and it made a lot of sense when I think about the mindset component and what I know about the brain and how it works. So when we talk when we think about like intrinsic versus extrinsic motivation. So intrinsic motivation refers to the internal desire or drive to engage in an activity purely for its own sake, right? Without that need for an external reward or incentive. Okay. Whereas extrinsic motivation is the you know, focus on the extrinsic reward, which, you know, is reward, recognition, or maybe even punishment. Okay, so one's like internal motivation, one's external motivation. So there, I I was thinking of a story in regards to this, and I I shared this, I think, in the last episode where I talked about how um, my partner and I get the boys he has three boys we often get them to earn device time through whether it's sometimes at schoolwork, but often it'll be activity so they can you know bike or scooter or go for a run and things like that be physical and active and do things like that and it's interesting to think about that in regards to are we removing their intrinsic motivation to do those things when we're giving them an an extrinsic reward so basically go for you know go for a run for 15 minutes and you can have you know 30 minutes on your ipad okay just so you're getting a picture so what i've learned from the research is if you get a dopamine peak from a reward okay an external reward it will lower your baseline level of dopamine and mentally we think we did it for the reward not for the pleasure of doing the hard work itself okay so instead of the kids you know enjoying going for a bike ride or you know having a run around instead of you know doing that because it's fun and they enjoy it they're doing it to get the device time to get that external reward so what happens is sometimes when we keep doing this over time is we take away the dopamine that is linked to the intrinsic motivation we remove the dopamine from the activity itself okay and when I think about um, this with you know myself and weight loss many years ago I was like obsessed with losing weight and I you know I was doing it for being skinny and for a number on the scales and I really wasn't enjoying the process I just wanted to get there Whereas now I love eating healthy. I enjoy eating healthy. I enjoy being active. I enjoy all these things. And I get such a dopamine, you know, release from that process. 
instead of that external kind of, you know, recognition of everyone saying, oh, you've lost so much weight, you look amazing, and oh, look at the number on the scale and all of that, right? It's such an intrinsic motivation, okay? So I find this, like, I this is just such a fascinating one for me because it really speaks to the mental element here. And, you know, if we're super focused on external motivation, reward, recognition, punishments, all of that, we lose the dopamine that we can get from the process itself. And that dopamine is really attached to the way we think about the activity, the process, all of it. Okay. Um, I totally went off my notes. Hang on a moment. Let me get back to it. (laughs) So learning to access the rewards from the effort and the process can have a real positive impact on our dopamine and also in helping us to do hard things, right? The good news is that we can, we can create a dopamine release from the process, from doing uncomfortable things, from doing hard things, right? An incredibly um, extreme example of this, but a really cool example at the same time is um, David Goggins. So if you don't know who that is, he's a retired United States Navy SEAL. He's known for his incredible mental and physical strength and endurance, as well as like he's done ultra endurance races, which are like 100 mile races. And he's done some other extreme physical things. I think he... uh, was just listening to his audiobook the other day he was doing talking about uh breaking the world record for a number of pull-ups it was like 4,000 pull-ups over 24 hours it's crazy he gained a lot of widespread recognition for his motivational speaking and inspiring people to really push past their limits and overcome adversity he wrote the book at which is titled which is the audiobook I'm just about finished can't hurt me which is awesome and I highly recommend audio for that as well because uh, he does it kind of podcast style and yeah there's a bunch of extra value in there he's also got another book uh, I think called defy the odds which I haven't yet listened to or read so he talks about like doing a lot of hard things running you know multiple 100 mile ultramarathon races where he has learned to use his own mind to create enjoyment of the hard work and the process. So basically he has thereby attached dopamine to the hard work, to the activity, to the discomfort and not just to the end result. Okay, so it's such a great example of the internal versus external intrinsic versus extrinsic motivation okay and this doesn't work by lying to ourselves like you can't just say oh this is awesome and I love it so much and your brain's like no fuck this this is terrible and I hate it right if your brain's gonna argue back and say that it's awful and you hate it it's not gonna work it's about working with yourself with your brain and you know finding a way to get some form of you know it doesn't even have to be joy, but okayness from the process and then working your way up to, you know, I can actually enjoy the process or, you know, I can uh, I can enjoy the hard and the difficult, right? I don't think I explained that that well, but anyway. So, and this is very unique to each of us in the way that we speak to ourselves, but we can basically use our brain to generate dopamine by the way which in which we think about and perceive doing hard things uncomfortable shit all of that okay and the better you know yourself the easier this will be so 
When we are solely focused on the reward and not the effort itself, we can make the process much less enjoyable, right? When you are so focused on, you know, what you're going to get at the end, the piece of chocolate cake and instead of, you know, the two hours of running, (laughs) the two hours of running can be super unenjoyable, right? It can be really mentally challenging and hard. And again, what we do, we decrease that baseline level of dopamine. All right, so anyway, how do we do this? How do we, you know, how do we enjoy the hard work? How do we, you know, attach our dopamine more so to the internal intrinsic motivation? That is where thought work comes in. It is where mind management comes in and being deliberate with the meaning that you choose to attach to certain activities comes in. We talked briefly about this in episode one of the dopamine series. And again, this is the work I do with my one-to-one clients. If that's something that you want to explore, then please visit my website, xenajones.com. Book in for a free consultation over there and I would love to help you. So the ability to get pleasure from effort, I think, is one of the most powerful parts of our dopamine system, right? And, and one of the most powerful things we can learn. And I think it, it's also, you know, really what so many successful sports people do is they learn how to enjoy the hard and the uncomfortable. They, they're able to get pleasure from the effort itself which is so powerful. Uh, Another one I want to mention here is oxytocin, which is the uh, love hormone, I think they call it, or cuddle hormone, which is, you know, another great way to get dopamine. And what that means is social interactions, time spent with people that you love and care about. That will actually increase your dopamine levels in a healthy way. And, you know, whether that's just, you know, hanging out with some good friends or even giving them a call, that kind of a thing. And this makes a lot of sense when we think about, and this is something I've I've um, kind of explored before, is like the loneliness and the lack of social connection that a lot of people are experiencing in the world. Um, and there was actually a study, I can't remember what university it came out of, but it was the longest study ever completed on human happiness. And I think it went for 80 or 90 years. And it talked about how uh, human connection was the biggest factor in human happiness was the amount of like social connection and human connection that they were getting with people was was the main contributing factor in happiness fascinating and that is because it produces that release of oxytocin and again we get dopamine okay I want to mention one thing that has also come up in not only my research on dopamine but also in my research for ADHD treatment And that is L-tyrosine, which is a non-essential amino acid, okay? Meaning it can be synthesized by the body, like other amino acids can do something basically to create it. And it doesn't need to be obtained solely from the diet, right? And this this L-tyrosine supports the neurotransmitters and hormones in the brain, okay? So basically the um, distribution and production of hormone. Ah, sorry, of uh, dopamine. Now, it's important to note that the although it is, you know, there are studies out there that show that it can, you know, give you more uh, focus, more dopamine, more drive, make you feel more alert, all of those things. 
It only lasts for a short period of time, so 30 to 40 minutes on average. But also the relationship between L-tyrosine, supplementation, ADHD, dopamine, it's all still being researched. The evidence is not definitive. So while some studies have shown there are positive effects of you know using L-tyrosine as a supplementation and it has a positive cognitive performance or um, positively impacts our attention, especially for people with ADHD, other studies have also shown that there's not significant benefits. Okay, if you're going to do it, I would approach it with caution, you know, and speak to any healthcare professionals, etc. Be mindful of any medical conditions, etc. that you have. But as with most things that will spike our dopamine, it also, if this is something that you're going to do regularly is take L-tyrosine, and I was looking at, at it as like a daily supplement to take to support ADHD, but knowing what I now know about dopamine, doing that is like taking a pre-workout every single day. It is going to give you a short burst and over time it's going to give you less of a boost because your body normalizes that experience, but you're also going to decrease your baseline level of dopamine. So that being said, it would be one of those things that would be better to be done every now and again, not regularly, more like the pre-workout, you know, every couple of weeks, every now and again, once a week, whatever, that kind of thing. All right. Um. A couple of last things before we wrap up. Melatonin is something that I brought last time I was in America and I had heard that it was really good for sleep and so I had used it to get over my jet lag when I came home from America last time and also have then used it when I've you know found myself struggling with sleep and it has occasionally worked. It didn't work all the time but it did um, sometimes work for me and many people use it for sleep but it is proven to reduce baseline levels of dopamine, something I did not know. So now I have pretty much cut it out and I'm not using it. I will use it when I travel because I uh, I definitely think it's important to have something. And, you know, if it is used in treatment for, for jet lag or travel and that kind of thing, that makes sense. I also use occasionally sleeping tablets, but I prefer to use something more natural, which melatonin is. Uh, so there was a study completed Uh, It was on men, (laughs) of course, not women. And it found that there was a decrease in dopamine after taking melatonin. So that is something to be mindful of. If it's something that you take regularly, it might be worth cycling it, taking, you know, having a bit of a break and just being mindful of that. Okay. All right. So let's wrap up with what are some of the best ways that we can maximize our dopamine and maintain a higher baseline level of dopamine. Okay, and remember we want to do that because dopamine feels good. The higher our baseline, the better we're going to feel and motivation, you know, we're going to have more motivation, more drive, uh, a better mood, all of these kinds of things. Okay, so what can we do? As we've talked about in this podcast, I think step one is really become aware of what you're using for dopamine and when and how you are layering it. So notice what you get dopamine from and, you know, how often it lasts when you are layering it. Notice that. Just pay attention to it, right? Awareness is always the first step. Also, become deliberate with your choices. Be deliberate with when you choose to layer dopamine and, if anything, start to do it less. Do it every once in a while, okay? And notice if your baseline level of dopamine over time increases, okay? 
because it will. (laughs) Use your mind as well to create joy in the process, in the effort, in the hard work. Focus on how you think about the activities that you're doing and being deliberate with that, right? And when you focus on the effort and you can increase your dopamine from the effort, from the hard, from the challenges, okay? So, so for example, if you're, you know, working out, instead of saying to yourself, I hate this, I hate working out, find an activity that you somewhat enjoy and focus on the way that you think about that activity and you will notice that you can actually get more dopamine from it. Okay, this is a very powerful skill to develop. And as I said, one that I think most successful athletes have really mastered. Now, just remember when you're doing hard things, painful things, it will create a dopamine release later. And especially if you are focused on being deliberate with how you choose to think about those activities. And also acknowledge that, you know, you're choosing to do this, right? Even if you're not enjoying it completely you're choosing to do this so for example if you choose to play with cold water therapy you're choosing to give it a go you're choosing to play with it and with that kind of a language you will experience more of a dopamine release okay the language in the way that you speak to yourself is huge obviously that's what I'm trying to get across here Um, Another thing I recommend that you do to maximize your dopamine is play with that cold water therapy notice how this impacts your dopamine levels and as I said play with it play with various activities to work with your dopamine and if you are being mindful of it and layering your dopamine less over time you will notice that your baseline level is a more sustainable healthy level over time okay And if you want to learn more about this, like I find this shit fascinating, then as I said at the beginning, I recommend you check out the Huberman Lab podcast or YouTube. You can watch either watch or listen. Episode number 39 was about dopamine. I don't remember the title. Um, And he also, as I said, links to a lot of other studies. I've also used the David Goggins book that I referred to. I have used that as some study and I definitely recommend the audio version of that because there's a bunch of extra bonus stuff in there. And another resource I haven't yet consumed but is next on my list is a book called Dopamine Nation by Anna Lemke, L-E-M-B-K-E, in case I'm pronouncing that wrong. And I also know that she's got an episode uh, as a guest on that Huberman Lab podcast where she talks about uh, dopamine and the role that it plays specifically in addiction and addictive behaviors. So if you're interested, there's a bunch more resources, my friends. All right, I would love to hear your biggest takeaways from our dopamine series. You can find me over on Instagram at xena.jones.coach and also I have an Instagram for specifically ADHD at navigatingadultadhd. I think it's navigating.adult.adhd. Anyway, and over on my website, xenajones.com. I love hearing from you guys, so go ahead and hit me up. Huge love and I'll see you soon. Hey friend, I know exactly what it's like to feel frustrated and confused with your ADHD and to wish that you could better understand what the hell is going on in your brain. And that's exactly why I created my coaching program, Thriving with ADHD. Inside Thriving with ADHD, you learn a step-by-step process to set and finally achieve your goals. 
to understand yourself and your ADHD. It's where you learn to feel better and manage your emotions and create systems and processes that work for you with your ADHD brain. This is designed for you to learn how to thrive with ADHD so you can create the life that you were meant to live. Visit xenajones.com ADHD to learn more and book a consultation.